Well, good morning, City Light. Uh, my name is Austin, and uh, I've been serving here as the worship director for the last year. Um, and a- as you may know, I'm actually in the process of moving to Lincoln to start a new church there, City Light Lincoln. And so, thank you. We're very excited for that. But let me just tell you, uh, my time at City Light has been a blast. Like you guys have loved uh, my wife and I, you have encouraged us, you've supported us, many of you have had us over for for lunch or for supper, and so I'm just so grateful. Um, And so thank you for being patient with me, thank you for uh, letting me grow as a young worship leader and a friend, and so many of you, I just have a great heart affection for you all, and so as I've been praying for Lincoln, I've been praying specifically as I think, what do I want to see God do in Lincoln? I, I want him to create a family similar to this. You guys have, are, are just amazing. So thank you guys. I, I, I've just had such a good um, time with our family. Now, um, our family is, of course, uh, we love to encourage each other. We like to build each other up. But as you know, we also like to give each other a hard time. And so Chris and Gavin have been joking around with me a lot, joking about my height. Now, I just want to acknowledge I can see over the pulpit, okay? They were kind of questioning that, and I can see over the pulpit. I literally, this week, I took it up on stage, and I'm like, Okay, I can see. Okay, good. Like, I was trying to get, get one of these and put it down low. No, I, I got this. I can see. It's good. My mom has always told me, Austin, sweetie, you're perfect in God's eyes. Oh, thanks, mom. Makes me feel so good. That just makes everything better. Um, and so, uh, anyways, let me start this morning by telling you guys a story. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for a little over a year now. And Jack, Aaron, he's a good friend and mentor, and his wife, Linda, uh, they led us through premarital counseling. And I thought, my, this would be really good for my wife, so let's do it. I'm just kidding. No, I needed it much worse than she did. But we went, and, and I loved my time there. And so one of the questions, uh, the initial questions that Jack asked, he said, why do you guys love each other? Like, not just assume it, like actually put words to it. Why do you guys love each other? And he said, give three reasons. And so my wife, she went first. And it was so good. Like, I felt so refreshed and encouraged as she was just sharing um, how God has worked in my life and what she loves about me. It's good. I mean, it's good to hear I love you, but it's good to hear why, you know? And so... um, so she had said that, and then she said the bar pretty high, and then it was my turn. And so I, um, I essentially, I just, I, just, I just shared with her how I love her humility, and she's, she's just so humble, and I love how she serves people, and I love how, um, how God has just used her. And she, she has this great affection for God that everybody knows. Man, Kristen loves God. And so um, when, we, when, when we got done, um, Linda asked us, she said, okay, well, now we know why you love each other. Well, how do you want to show that love to each other? And it was such a good, simple follow-up question, but it wouldn't have made any sense for us to say all the things we love about each other without actually addressing how we want to show that love, right? Like, love stirs us to act or to do something or to show that love. That's just natural in us. If we love somebody, we want to get them gifts or show it. And so we just talked about that for a while, and it was really, really good. And so John three sixteen, super popular Bible verse, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now God, even, even God shows us that love isn't just a good thought or pure intentions. It actually moves us to action. It moves us to do something. And so this morning, we get to look at Psalm 116 and ask two questions. Why do we love God? And how do we want to show our love for God? 
Our psalm today helps our hearts see who God is and what he has done. And once we catch those things, once we catch who God is, we can't help but be stirred up in affection for God, which will then well up in action for God and towards him. And so let me tell you why this matters. I think some of us know that we should love God. We're supposed to love God, but we don't really know why. And and if we don't know that much about him or our understanding of what he has done is rather shallow, then what we end up doing is living this Christian life without any real heart affections for Jesus, right? Like we try and do the Christian thing, come to church, open our Bible every once in a while, go to a city group. But unless we know who God is and we really love him, all of that stuff is just fluff, There's no real weight to it. And so this morning, I want to show us why God is worthy of our love and of our lives. And so um, let's jump into the text. Um, Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. I don't want us to miss this. So let's just pause for a second. Do you know that the God that created the world, that breathed the sun into existence, the God that that molded every one of the molecules in your body together to create who you are, the the color of your eyes, that God that created uh, the Grand Canyon and the sun and, and the stars, he hears you. He hears you. I mean, this word incline, it actually, it actually puts on a similar, as Chris was saying, uh, to a father. It just bending his knee and just sitting and talking with his child. God hears you. He's not just a, a he is a powerful and mighty God, but he's also a personal God and, and a near God and, and an affectionate God. And so, so the good news is that God doesn't just hear you, but that he hears you when you're weak and when you're helpless, and when you're hopeless. I mean, look, look at the text, verses 3 and 4. Uh, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish, and then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So God is not just near you when, 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 when everything's good and people are healthy and money's in the bank. No, God specializes in being with us and listening to us when we're weak and when we're helpless. And this is, this is good news. When he writes that the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me, Sheol was just a, a poetic word for the grave. And so what he's literally saying is that the grave was, was grabbing his legs and just pulling him down. When he says that he suffered distress and anguish, I mean, he's he's just saying, there was no way out. Like, I was completely helpless. There there was no light. And I want to ask, City Light, have you ever been there? Have you been to a point where you just realized, no way out? There's nothing else I can do. I have. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Southern California, and my parents were divorced when I was young, and so we moved around a lot, and I had to make friends quickly, and so I befriended a a, a guy in fifth grade, and he had a rough past, and so one day, uh, we just decided to to break into a local school um, after hours, and so we we, we went into the local school, and we uh, tipped over chairs and looked for candy and money, and we're just kind of like messing around, just being vandals, and 
And we, we thought we were invincible. We did this to several schools and never got caught, and so we're starting to get pretty good at it. Um, well, then one day, um, this kid is spraying a fire extinguisher in a room just for fun. And uh, we look, and there's a, we see a teacher that had stayed after, you know, like after hours. I think this woman ran track in college. Like, she was so fat. Like, we start running, grabs us, and pulls us. Like, it was, it was not just a normal teacher. Like, I mean, she was running like a legit 40. And so anyways, she grabs us. And in that moment, though, it hit. In that moment, the weight of what I had done just sunk in. And I remember just letting go and just, and, and it just tears started flowing uncontrolled. I, I, I just didn't know even what to do. And so I knew that my life was going to change. It wouldn't be the same after that moment. And so that night, I'm just sitting in my shame and in my guilt And I wasn't a Christian, but I called out and I said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you would just let me get out of trouble, I'll never do that again. (laughs) Never break into a school again and fire fire extinguisher. God's like, okay. But uh, anyways, um, but in that, in that, uh, the the next day, you know, it was was an honest cry. I just didn't know what to do. And so I just cried out. And then that next day, I'm at lunch. My principal calls me in the office and, you know, like, I'm just walking up like, dude, this is not going to be good. And sure enough, my mom's in the room and she's crying and there's police officers and school staff just comforting her. And um, it was a hard moment for me to see that. Um, After a few months of court in a plea bargain, I actually was convicted of a felony. Um, And I had 150 hours of community service and three years of probation. Now, divinely, um, I did my community service at a church. And, um, and at this church, I just thought, man, my preconceived notion, church is filled with good people, right? And me, I'm obviously not a good person, so I'm not going to fit in. But this is the beauty of a local church. They, they didn't condemn me. They loved me. And they said, Austin, man, if you could be perfect, if I could be perfect, then Jesus never would have had to come. They preached the gospel to me. And so I went to youth group there for a while and I ended up accepting Jesus. And church, this is beautiful because God didn't, I I thought he wasn't listening to my cry, right? I cried out, God, don't let me get in trouble. If you're real, just prove it. Don't let me get in trouble. And what he did is he let me get in earthly trouble to show me my divine trouble, that I wasn't okay before God. And so he used that to let me get in trouble. He did hear my cry. And actually what he did was so much better than get me out of trouble. He gave me life. Now, my story isn't that I was looking for God. It's not that I was listening to him. It's that at my worst, I cried out to God and he heard my voice. And not only did he hear me, he lavished his abundant grace upon me. This is the gospel. I mean, it's just beautiful. And so I want to ask, what's your story? What has God saved you from? When was that time when you realized you had absolutely nothing to offer to God and you just cried out? See, I think the psalmist is showing us in verse 4, he says, Then I called the name of the Lord, O Lord, deliver me. There was a point in his life where he just got to this hopeless state and said, I have nothing else to cling to. And so I think that God uses the darkest moments in our lives to actually push us to cling to the light of Christ, to the light of God. But understand, we're not crying out to some angry, distant, silent, stoic God. No, we're crying out to a loving God that hears us. And so I don't know how you see God. 
I mean, you might see him as uh, that he just is listening to people that are a little bit better than you, or that, um, or that all he wants to hear is praises and not pleas. But City Light, the good news in this text is that God is a good father. And he knows the voices of his children and he listens. He bends down and he inclines his ear to us and he listens to us. That's the good news of the text. And, and so let's be honest. If you want a meeting with the CEO of a company, that's going to be a hard meeting to land. But our God, he's more wise, he's more powerful, he's more sovereign, and yet he is more accessible and attentive. One of the reasons I love the Lord is that he has heard my cry my pleas for mercy. And so I don't know what you're going through right now, but can I just encourage you, please don't go through it alone. Please don't go through it alone. And so friends, I, I can assure you that God is near. I can assure you that, that he'll listen to you, not because you're good, but because he's good. And I can assure you that his plan is so much better than yours ever could be. Psalm 34, 18 says, God, he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. I want to encourage you to love the Lord because he hears you. When no one else is there, when you're completely alone, he hears you. Now let's look at verses 5 through 11. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. The second reason to love God is that he saves the helpless. The psalmist, um, he recounts the character of God. So he just basically is telling himself who God is. And so he says that God is gracious meaning that God doesn't operate the, world, the way the world operates. Like he's different. He doesn't, his love doesn't come because of what we've done or what we will do. His love is freely given to us. That's grace. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's freely given. And so it means that he gives good gifts to those who don't deserve it. And then he says that God is righteous. So it means that, means that God is holy and he's blameless. He's, he's like no one else. He's so high above me. And then he ends and says that God is merciful. Our God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He forgives and he removes iniquity. City light, there's no one like our God. But let me show you how he builds this out. Look at verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. So the writer, he's honest. I mean, he's, he's not wearing a mask. He's not puffing out his chest, acting like everything's okay. He just humbly admits, I'm, I'm helpless. I can't do this on my own. I need God. I'm a simple man. And so another word for, for simple in this text is helpless, like unable to take care of yourself. And the good news is that that is the people that God takes care of. That's the people that God protects and preserves, the people that are humble enough to say, I can't do this on my own. God, come quick. And I think one of the biggest impediments to, to people coming to know Jesus is that they're blind to their need for him. You know, like you can't, you can't admit that you're simple and that you're strong. But the good news is that God saves the weak. 
right? Like, it's okay to say that we're weak and that we can't make it because God intervenes in that, and that's exactly who he wants to help. And look at verse 7. I love verse 7. It says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. See, like, this is not just a testimony of a psalm writer thousands of years ago. This is our story. Has not the Lord, Lord dealt bountifully with us? Like, if you've cried out to God and he's heard your pleas for mercy, you're blessed. If you've called out on him and acknowledged, I can't do this on my own, and he has been mighty to save you, you are blessed. This is the gospel, that the Lord deals with us in ways we don't deserve, in ways we haven't earned. He gives good gifts to rebellious children, orphan children. That's the gospel. Not that we're strong, not that we're good, but that the Lord gives good gifts to us when we're running away and we wanted nothing to do with him. Man, our text is declaring to us this truth, and I want to catch it. Our God saves the helpless. He saves the wicked. He saves the worst. He gives life. He restores people that were falling. He picks them up and walks with them. He brings joy to sorrowful eyes and sorrowful situations. But before we move on, I just want to ask, honestly, do you love God? Do you love him? Like, do you think about him when you lay in bed at night? Do you think about him when you're on your drive to work or to class? Do you think about him? Do you think that he's a distant tyrant that's angry at you, or do you see him as a loving father that has his arms open towards you? How you answer that question, your entire life will hinge on. Do you love God? And so I I, want to challenge you. Later today or tonight, would you just grab a piece of paper, get alone, and just write down reasons why you love the Lord? Just your own personal reasons. And at the bottom, would you just write 1 John four nineteen? It says that we love because he first loved us. Our love doesn't start God's love. Our love is just a response to his love. And so he loves you in this moment. Real, would you realize that? Would you accept that truth? God is the one person who's, who's worthy of our love. He hears us and he saves us. Now, the psalmist doesn't just stop at reasons why he loves God. No, he, like I said, it's, it's appropriate. It's natural for us to move on to ways that we love God or how we want to show God. And so verse 12 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? So he's basically saying, man, God has been so good to me. He's been so gracious to me. How could I ever repay this God? And he knows that he can't. Like, it'd be impossible. But he's saying, man, I know that my responsibility is to simply respond to what God has done in my life. I know my responsibility is to simply react to what he's done. And so he's not saying I want to pay God back. What he's saying is that I want to live in gratitude. And friends, The posture of gratitude is the fuel, it's the essence of the Christian life, to be grateful for what God has done. And so the first way we see him show his love uh, for God is to continue to call upon the name of the Lord. Remember all the way back in verse 2, he says, I will call on the Lord for as long as I live, for the rest of my life. If he's going to hear me, I want to call on his name. And then in verse 13, he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. And call on the name of the Lord. 
And so he's not saying, the author, author's not saying, hey, God, appreciate you get me out of that situation. Yeah, that lady was fast. I'm excited that I was out of that situation. No, he's not saying, okay, see you, God, like, bye. I can do life on my own. What he's saying is that I will continue to walk in a humble and reliant re- relationship with the Lord for the rest of my life. That's all I've got. You're the one thing that I can cling to and doesn't disappoint me. Why would I not cling to you for all my days? And so one of the dangers that, that our hearts tend towards is self-reliance. And so specifically speaking to the Christians in the room, when you first accept Jesus, I experienced this, it's like you're so bonded to him and you're so excited and that's all you can talk about. But eventually I've seen my, hearts, my heart move to a place where, where I think that God started my journey, but now it's on me to carry it through, right? Like I, I know he forgave my sins, but man, I better buckle down and not mess up anymore so he doesn't get angry with me. It's like we tell, like, I don't know why we believe this lie, but there's this tendency to rely on ourselves. And we toil and we wear ourselves out without ever really pressing in and relying on the grace and love and mercy and power of God. And see, the glory of the gospel is that God's grace saves us, but it also sustains us. So the psalmist is showing us that God isn't just a ticket out of hell and into heaven. No, he's saying that God is a loving father that hears you and wants to commune with you for the rest of your life. Like this is the best news that he's not just like, yeah, get up, like I'll just save you from this. We'll see you later. No, he wants to walk with you and work with you and show you how he does it. He wants you to depend on him and what a gracious posture that he leads us towards. And so, I mean, even this week, City like I'm preaching this Sunday, and I'm on this section, and I just feel like, oh, I haven't depended on you. Like, I'm nervous, and I'm anxious, and I'm trying to say the right things, and so I, I just get on my knees, and I get on my face, and I just pray, Father, be near. Like, speak to me. Show me who you are. Remind, like, let me believe that this is true more than any other truth that this is true. So we never graduate from a dependency on him. Now, the second way the psalmist shows us how to love God is to publicly proclaim your personal story. To publicly proclaim your personal story. Some alliteration right there. Uh, Verse 14, um, it says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And then he repeats this verse in 18, and he ends on saying, In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The psalmist is showing us that to love God is to tell people about him. And not just to tell people about who God is, but more specifically, what he has done in your life. Though Jesus' work in your life is extremely personal, it should well up to be explicitly public, okay? Though Jesus' work in your life is extremely personal, it should well up in your life to be explicitly public. Now, let me show you how this plays out. So I was convicted as a felon at 12 years old. Now, I moved from Southern California to McCook, Nebraska when I was 12 to, to live with my dad. 
And so during this time, uh, my friends knew I was on probation. And, and I, never, I never really knew how to love the Lord. Like I, I knew that I kind of did, but no one really walked with me and said, this is how you read your Bible. This is how you pray. This is how you talk with people. I, I just had none of that in my life. There was no discipleship, no buddy that came aside me and, and just said, look, man, can I show you what it looks like to love the Lord? And so... In high school, I started to, to find my significance in, in what people thought of me and people's approval. And so I yearned to be the most liked guy in high school. I, I wanted to be the best dressed and the best on the football team. I started to use women to, to boost my ego. I, I searched for joy in every facet I possibly could. And that only increased into college. And so the Austin that you see today, the Austin that you know, is completely incomparable to the Austin you would have met in high school or college. Completely. But then men like Chris Haruska came into my life. Men like Ethan Weekamp and and Lynn Sawyer and and, and Bob Walls and, and Jack Aaron and Andy McFarlane, and they started to just share life with me. They said, man, this is what God rescued me from. This is how he did it. This is how you pray. This is how you read your Bible. And I just was, it did my life just started to transform when I had guys that shared their lives with me. I stopped viewing women as objects and started viewing them as precious daughters. I stopped uh, searching for my acceptance and my approval in man and started to rest in the perfect approval of Jesus. I stopped looking at a computer screen to get satisfaction or joy and started to look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of life, the source of joy. And then a few years ago, I I was convicted of how hurtful uh, I I had been in high school to some people. And so I just messaged a guy and told him, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. I just want to let you know, though, I I met Jesus, and he changed my life. Like, I'm completely different, so I just want to say I'm sorry. And I did that with a handful of people and just, just apologized. And I didn't really get any responses. And then I was at a wedding about two years ago. And this guy comes up to me, one of the guys I messaged, and he sits down and he's got tears in his eyes and he says, that message you sent me changed my life. I was in the darkest moments. But then I started going to church and I accepted Jesus. (laughs) And then he leans in closer and he says, you know, I never would have thought that Austin Edwards would be a Christian, but you gave me hope. This is the gospel, friends, that that only God could save the worst of sinners to show how big and how wide and how expansive and how deep his love is. He, He loves the worst of sinners to show how great and how wide and deep his love is. This is the gospel, that God saves the helpless. And that's what he did in my life. That's why I'm here is because he saved me. Man, I love Paul's words in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says this, this saying is trustworthy, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I'm the foremost. So I'm the worst. And he saved me in order to show his perfect patience to those who were to believe in him. And so City Light, God didn't save you just for you. Like he saved you to save other people in order that he would save other people. God wants to use your salvation story to bring others to salvation. And so don't believe the lie that your relationship with him is really private and just between you and him. It is extremely personal. 
But if you'd be willing to make it public, oh man, you'd be amazed at what God would do in the people's lives around you. And so let me end with this. I believe Psalm 116 is a clear prophecy to a, pointing to a greater saving work of God. I believe that this doesn't just point to a, a temporary deliverance, but to an eternal salvation. See, there was a man that cried out to God, and God didn't listen. This man cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This man was the only man that ever lived that didn't need to be saved. He was perfect, but allowed himself to be fully encompassed by death. Not just to be gripped by the grave, but to be, actually die. And and this man, he rose again. He loosed the bonds of death and sin and Satan and hell, and he reigns forevermore. And scripture tells us that man cannot be saved by any other name than Jesus. It's Jesus. This is what it points to. And so I want to invite you, friends. Man, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you haven't called upon his name, would you this morning? Like there's nothing holding you back. It's okay to admit you're weak. It's okay to admit you can't save yourself. That's the perfect posture to be met with by God. The only way for us to escape death is for Jesus to have given himself to death for us. There are an infinite amount of reasons to love the Lord. And so what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Oh, that I would love God with everything within me and spend the rest of my life proclaiming what he's done in my life. Let's pray together. Jesus, you have been infinitely gracious to us to give us what we didn't deserve God, you could have been a distant God or a far-off being, but no, you're a personal, close, intimate God that saves the helpless. And so this morning, I pray that for, the, for the, the people in this room that haven't accepted you yet, that haven't called upon your name, would you lead them to that right now? Or later today, would they just reflect and think, man, you're, you're worthy, God, I can't do it. I cry out and I know, God, that you would hear that and you would bless that. And so for the Christians in the room, would you stir our hearts for affections, not just to say we love you, but to actually live it out? Would you do that in us, God? And so you hear us. You save us, God. We love you for that. And would you let us show our love for you by continuing to call upon your name and to share our story with the world? God, we love you. You are infinitely gracious and merciful. And so we praise you. It's in your precious name. Amen.